If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be at this morning. Uh, I don't want to quite give up the Christmas season just yet because a couple more thoughts I want to bring into play as we consider this Christmas season. And uh, next week we will be back in our study of uh, 1 John and in the middle of chapter 3. But uh, for today, Matthew chapter 2, and the title of the message this morning is Wise Men Still Worship Jesus. You know, during the days of Christ's birth, wise men worshipped Jesus. And today also, if you are wise, if you want to be a wise person, you'll continue to follow Jesus. And I believe that once we examine these truths, we'll have to evaluate our worship to see if our thoughts and practices of worship are as they need to be. Uh, I know that, at least my opinion is that all of us are worshipping something or someone. If we look at the world that we live in right now, we have to believe and agree that we live in the greatest country that's ever been known. Uh, If you've ever visited any other country, you know just how good we have it, even amidst a pandemic. We have a great. But one of the things that people claim to make America great is what we have coined the American dream, right? You come to America and you uh, you can fulfill your dream. You can uh, have a job and make an income and buy a house and buy a car and have a retirement plan. And the rest of the world, if you've been to many other parts of the world, you realize that there is a great desire for many others to want to be here and to be a part of what America offers. All of us are worshiping something or someone. And I hope that at least for a moment today, we'll contemplate that thought and ask ourselves whether or not we are worshiping the right Someone, the right things. And so we want to look at this morning, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit beyond that to draw some application. Uh, But hopefully we can examine this passage and and gather several thoughts concerning the wise men and how they've worshipped Jesus. So if you would follow along as I begin reading from Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it was written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And when then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Lord Jesus, we thank you once again for the opportunity that we have to look at your word. 
And I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, it's a familiar story we've heard many times uh, over the years. And I ask God that just for a moment this morning, you might make it fresh and anew in our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we may apply, uh, Lord, the truths found in this passage to our hearts and our lives, Lord, that we may draw closer to you and become more like you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, every year, as I said in our candlelight service, there's something about the Christmas story that stands out. Some years it's Mary and Joseph themselves and, you know, how God used them to bring in the Christ child. And other years you think about the star and there's all kinds of messages, you know, directed about the star. And last week we talked about uh, the, the, the word glory and how his glory appeared. And the glory was like the light and, and in heaven there'll be no need of light for God's glory is going to be the light of it. But, you know, this morning I want to concentrate on just for a moment the wise men. You know, it's, it goes far beyond the Christmas story to everyday living, to where you and I wake up every day of our lives, and we're going to choose how we are going to live. And I like to ask myself a lot of questions as I'm reading through the Scripture. I, I don't want to just read it and say, well, there's the Scripture, there's the text. I want to read it with questions in mind. So oftentimes as I'm reading a question, I want to say, what, what might this been like in our day and age? Or who might have been present? Who might have been seeing this? Who might have been witnessing this? How did it apply to this person or that group or, or this section of people over here? And how do I apply this to my life in the year 2021? And all these questions come to my mind and how I could apply the things that I've heard. And so as I begin to read about this this week, the bottom line is this. Several questions came to my mind about uh, the, about this passage. And so I want to just bring out several truths from it. And the first truth I want to highlight, and then we're going to look at a couple questions, is this. Wise men sought the Christ child. The wise men sought the Christ child. We saw that in verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They were seeking the Christ child. And then again in verse 9, it says, When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. They were seeking the Christ child. And so the, one of the first questions that came to my mind as I'm reading this is, I wonder what it is that we are seeking. We talk about the American dream, and a lot of people are seeking the next best good thing that they can add to their lives. It may be a material Good, or maybe a thing that they've wanted and have prayed for or searched for or have tried to get or attain. It might be the next thing. But what is it that we are really searching for in this life that we live? You know, it would have been very easy, I think, for the wise men, and we know that there were more than three, but it would have been very easy for these men to just stay where they were and, you know, let the word travel as it one day it would. But they didn't. They went out and searched for the Christ child. What is it that you and I really search for? I don't know about you, but I think I've found what I've searched for has changed over the years. I can remember that uh, in my early days, I would search for a woman that I would someday marry. It's like, okay, check, got that one. And then we look for that good job. Oh, check, got that one. Then we look for a decent vehicle that works and gets us from point A to point B and back. Check, did that. But what is it that really matters? What is it that we, what, it hits us as we wake up one day and say, none of that really matters. What really matters is this. What is that that we are searching for? Because a lot of people are searching for a lot of things, and they're using a lot of different methods to find it. That's why we have so many people in this world that are alcoholics, trying to find peace, 
Find to find some sort of stillness in their life and the busy, chaotic, and crazy that's going on around them. Some people try to find it in drugs. Some people try to find it in sex and pornography. Some people try to find it in a host of different ways because they're searching for something. And I would submit to you this morning that if we want to be wise, we continue to search for Jesus just as the wise men did. What is it that we desire? Because this is important. Because what we desire determines and directs our paths. What we desire determines and directs the path that we walk on. And here's the thing that I found. And those of you, if you've known me long enough and I've used enough illustration, my wife says i got to come up with some new ones. But you know how much I get frustrated over crazy drivers. And my kids tell me I'm a crazy driver now. I heard this last week. But as I'm traveling down, what amen over this? Are you serious? That's not scripture. Uh, but I'm driving down the road on a trip going somewhere. And you know, you know the illustration, right? There's a yield sign. And I'm sitting there going down the road. I'm doing 65, 70 or more. Going down the road. And <laughs> there's cars in front of me. There's cars behind me. And there's cars in this lane. I have nowhere to go. I can't speed up. I can't slow down. I can't get in the other lane. And guess what? We got an on-ramp coming right at us. And you would think for the love of God that this guy knows that he's to slow down. Because that's what the word yield means, right? You wait your turn. Play nice. It's not happening. He's bound and determined that he's going to get in front of you one way or the other. But the problem is you can't speed up and you can't slow down and you can't get in the other lane. Drives me insane. And there are many times I said, Lord, why did I have to be a Christian? Because I want to deal with stuff. But you know, here's the thing. When I am following Jesus Christ and going the path that he is going... And I go with him, my desires become his desires. Or his desires become my desires. Let me rephrase that. His desires become my desires. And I fall in line. And there's smoothness. There's no chaos. There's no crazy when I'm yielding to him. But our desires, market, will determine and direct our path. If I'm in a hurry and want to get ahead of God, that's going to cause a problem. If I want to be lazy and lag behind God, that's going to cause a problem. If God's trying to get me to fall into place here and I want to go over there and I can't, that's going to cause a problem. So I need to make sure that my desires are falling in line with his desires because desires will always determine and direct our path. We need to be careful. And so there's a question that comes to my mind. What is it that I truly desire? What is it that would really change my life? Because a new car is not going to do that. A bigger house, it might make things comfortable, but it's not going to change your life. Because one day the kids will be gone and then the house will be too big. What is it that will really change my life? Let me just tell you, it's only going to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why we, like the wise men, must seek the Christ. And here's the other question that came to my mind as I was reading through this. How would I know if God was leading me? I mean, what, what in the world? You got wise men coming from afar, and they just all of a sudden leave everything to go find. How would I even know if Christ was leading me? I think many of us are way too busy. We have too much stuff in our lives to even know when God is trying to get our attention. This is the one thing that, get, that I'm trying to work on as I get older in life. What really matters? 
What really should have my attention? What really should occupy my time, my talents, my treasures? Because the older I get, I realize that there's a lot that doesn't matter. And there are a few things that do. So if I am to follow Jesus Christ, I have to know when he's trying to get my attention. How does God do that? Well, first and primary, he does it through his word. And if I'm not working, and if I'm not in God's word, I can't hear him speak to me. So that has to be a priority. But you know, I've also found that God works through other people. God will sometimes bring somebody in my path and say, have you thought about this? I'm like, you know, I hadn't thought about that. I need to really consider that. And God uses that other person in my life to direct me down a path that he has for me. Sometimes God uses circumstances. Circumstances that I would not choose. Circumstances that were up to me, I would not pick because I don't like the outcomes. And yet God uses those things to direct my path where he wants me to go. And these wise men were looking for the Christ child and they saw the star and they were willing to follow. Here's the other thing. If I'm willing to go, that means I have to follow his steps. I can't just go my own way. I have to follow his steps. So in order to do that, I must be in in Scripture. But the wise men sought the Christ child. I want you to understand two things. They sought the Christ child during adversity and uncertainty. How do I know that? If I had to look in chapter 2, verse 12, it says this. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose and took the young child and his mother by night and departed from Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. There was adversity going on. See, a lot of us, we want a clear path. A lot of us, we want there to be no struggles, no trials, no difficulties, because that's what we pray for. I pray for that. I pray that my kids would like just be able to make it each and every day without being you know, tempted by the world and given into the world. I pray that everything would be good and smooth and right, and, and yet that's not always how it is. There's adversity whether we like it or not. And there's enough adversity where bottom line is, he says, don't go back the way you came. You need to go back a different way. And, and he obviously obeyed and went back a different way so that his life would be spared. Herod was trying to use the wise men to get at the baby Jesus so that he could kill him. There is adversity all around us. Anybody see it today? There is hardship, struggle all around us. And I have to tell you, when you're following and obeying Jesus Christ, you're going to face adversity. There's a lot of adversity going on. I, I, was, I was saying earlier, I really want to go to Africa. I really do. I've been itching to go to Africa for several months. Our friends over there are saying, we're praying for the day that you can come back. And I'm like, I want to go. I want to go serve there. I want to go wor- or worship with our, our friends there in, in Africa. And I want, I want to be a part of what's going on there. But there's a problem. It's called a world pandemic. And now I see other problems. If I want to fly internationally, now they're saying, if I want to fly overseas, I have to do what? Take a vaccination. I don't want a vaccination. 
Maybe you do, and that's okay. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to be critical of you. I just don't want it. I want to see it on the market for 20 years before and see the results of it before I take it. That's me. I'm not saying that's for you, but for me. I want to see the long-term effects of it before I take it. But here's the deal. If I want to go to Africa, I have to submit to, to taking the vaccination. I don't want to do that. So what does that mean about me going to Africa? It's like, ah, that's a struggle for me. I really want to go. I want to go back to India. I want to go back to other places that I've been and worship with our brothers and sisters there. But here's the long term for me. The adversity for me is if they can make me take a vaccination to fly overseas, how long before I have to take a vaccination to fly to Texas? And then how long before I could have to take a vaccination to go to a crowd gathering at a stadium or a concert? And then how long before I have to take a vaccination before I can go to the grocery store? You say, well, that's all hypothetical. Yes, it is. But do we not think about the world that we're living in and sometimes get concerned about those things, that the what ifs and the what abouts and have you considered this? Anybody else? I do. You see, serving God is not without its adversity. Living life is not without its struggle. And at some point, we're going to have to realize that either God's in control or He's not. Either we're going to give in to the fear or we're going to say, God, I trust you. Bottom line is, we can't live in fear. These guys were facing adversity. If I go back, the king's going to kill me. If I go back and tell the king where Jesus is, he's going to kill the baby Jesus. There's adversity. It was a difficult day that he was living in. How do I know this? Well, history tells us a lot about King Herod. King Herod was a wicked and delusional man. And let me just say this. He went so far as to kill his favorite wives, sons, so that they would have no claim to the throne that he was on. Let me just back up for a second. His favorite wife. That implies that he had more than one. That was definitely, that was the wrong direction. One is enough. Amen. Thank you. But in this process, he killed any child related to him so that they would have no heir to the throne. He alone wanted the control. He was a delusional man. There were times of adversity and times of uncertainty. I ask this question. The day in which Jesus Christ was born, just as there was adversity and uncertainty in those days, is there not adversity and uncertainty in our day? Are things really that much different? Different set of circumstances, different landscape, different players in the game, but there's still adversity and uncertainty. And the question we have to answer, are we going to go forward despite that? Or are we going to let the circumstance get us? Scripture tells us three things concerning the Christ child's birth. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he tells us who he was. He tells us exactly who he was. He was the Prince of Peace, the mighty, counselor, or the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor. All these things and who he was. We know who he was. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, as it reiterated in Matthew chapter 2, told us exactly where he'd be born. Prophecy fulfilled. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, he tells us exactly what he came to do to save their people from their sin. So once again, I ask questions a lot. If we know 
who Jesus was and where he would be born and what he came to do, how does that translate to today and where I live? I ask the same question. Who is Christ today? I'm glad you asked. Turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 2 just for a moment. Go past 1 Timothy to the book of Titus in chapter 2. And there are just a couple of verses here I think that are really good. In verses 13 and 14 he says this, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? He's still our great God and Savior. Not one thing has changed concerning His character. Not one thing has changed concerning His promises. Not one thing has changed concerning what He has come to do. He says, verse 14, Who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people. Some of your translations may say a peculiar people, and some of us are really peculiar. But the idea is a special people zealous for good works. Who is God? He's the same today. He's our great God and Savior. Where is Christ today? This is a favorite one of mine. John chapter 14. Turn there. It's a familiar passage, but turn there just for a moment so you can read it for yourself. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3 says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Remember, Jesus was born in, born in time of adversity, in time of uncertainty. And here's what he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now think about this. Thirty-some years has passed since he was born to where we're reading about in John 14. Times had not changed from the time he was born to the time that he is about to be crucified. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Now think about this. In this passage, this is what I like about this passage. It says, let not your heart be troubled. The word troubled is really an interesting word in the Greek language. It's a picture word. And it really tells a story of two pictures here. The first one is that of waves that are just overwhelming. If you've ever been on one of the Great Lakes, if you've ever been on one of the, uh, a huge lake where the wind is just blowing and it's tossing you around, that's the picture here. It's the idea of a wave that is so big and so powerful that it can knock you over in just a moment. He says, don't let your heart... Be as one of these waves that will knock you out and flip you over. The other word picture that's associated with this word troubled is the idea of plowing through a hard field. A field that's full of rock and stone and the ground is not very pliable. It's not very, the soil is not very rich. It's just a difficult ground. It's almost as though as the discs go through the ground, it's breaking the, the equipment. It's bending the disc and it's just having a difficult time getting through it. He says, don't let your life be as though everything is hard ground and you just can't get through it. What's the alternative? He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. This is temporary. The uncertainty, the adversity, this is temporary. And one day it will all be passed and one day we'll spend eternity in heaven. He says, and that's where I am today. He is born in Bethlehem. But today, he's in heaven preparing a home for his children, for his family. Isn't that awesome? I wonder when's the last time we just thought about that. Just for a moment. We just take a moment and say, wow, what do we have to look forward to? Isn't it awesome? 
I mean, think about that. Isn't that exciting? I mean, I can't wait to see. I've been told, I don't know if this is true or not. Maybe Mike knows. Mike Costco probably knows. He knows it all. I've been told that the shields that are on the helmets of the astronauts are layered in gold. Is that true? I've heard that. But can you imagine the streets of heaven made as though it were transparent gold? Try to figure that one out in your mind's eye. If they can make a shield that you can see through that has gold on it, I'm sure God has the technology to make a road that way. And it's going to be awesome. And all the gates, wow. Our mind's eye cannot comprehend what heaven is going to be like. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The adversity, the uncertainty, that's temporary. Heaven is forever. And what does Christ want to do today? Matthew one twenty one tells us what he came to do. And I believe that his purposes have not changed. He still desires the same men and have a relationship with them. Here's what I know. Wise men sought the Christ child. And if we're going to be wise, we need to seek Christ in everything. Number two, the wise men humbled themselves before Christ child. I believe this was because the wise men understood who the child was. He was the Messiah. Questions. I always ask questions. If the wise men humbled themselves, I wonder if we shouldn't do the same. We live in a world where people don't like to be humbled, and they certainly don't like to humble themselves. Our world needs a dose of humility. Amen? We live in a world where nobody wants authority. Nobody wants anybody to tell them what to do, how to do it, when to do it. We live in a world where men especially need humility. There are times when I disagree with somebody around me. I know that you, it's hard to imagine, but maybe you've experienced that too, where you disagree with somebody around you. And my wife kind of looks at me and she kind of put it in perspective. Do you want to be right or do you want a relationship? Ouch. I hate that when she does that. Because it's right. Because we want to, sometimes we just want to be right. And we're willing to be right at any cause. At any outcome. Whatever the outcome may be. We want to be right. It's our pride. God says we need humility. He says he listens to the humble. Over and over throughout the Psalms, he says that he listens to the humble. Say, so does that mean I can't be right? No. But there are often times that we're going to push our point and push our point and push our point, and you may be right, but you're not going to convince the other person. So do you want to be right or do you want a relationship? That's hard sometimes. Because my pride says I want both. I want you right and I want you to understand why I'm right. At any cost. The wise men humbled themselves because they knew who he was. I don't know about you, but respect is a big thing with me. I think we live in a world where respect is going out the window. 
There's a disregard for authority. There's a disregard for those. I, I can remember growing up with my dad and my dad saying and teaching me this lesson. When an adult looks at you, you look at him in the eye. And I can remember my dad just gently reaching down on a couple of occasions and grabbing my chin and lifting it up. There's not a ton of those things with my dad that I remember, but I remember that and I'll never forget it. So he wanted me to respect authority. He wanted me to be humble before authority. I feel like that's one thing that is missing in this generation. We learn it from the wise men. The wise men didn't walk on the show and say, Whoa, we're here! Woo! Let the party begin! The birth is here! Break out the cigars! We're ready to go! They got there. And they humbled themselves and knelt down before him. I don't know about you, but there's something about kneeling before Christ. That's why we have altar calls. I can tell you on numerous occasions for a two-year period, we came over to the church every Saturday night and we prayed for the men of our church. Sorry, ladies. The focus on Saturday night was the men. Because I believe that God needs men to be strong spiritually. God needs men who will stand up for what's right. God needs men who will read the Word of God. God needs men who will stand and, and, and pray. It is what God expected of the early church, and it's what He expects today of His men. And I can remember on, on several occasions before we got the new stage, coming up here on, on the stage and just laying down on my back and putting my hands up in the air and praying for an hour straight for the men of our church. There is something about kneeling in humility before God and saying, God, if you don't do this, it's not going to get done. When have we had that kind of faith and confidence in God alone because we were willing to humble ourselves before Him and say, God, I submit, I surrender, I commit myself to whatever Your will is. These wise men humbled themselves before the Christ child because they knew who he was. He was the Messiah. The one prophesied who is now here. They believed the prophecies that were foretold. You know, they would have never went seeking the Christ child if they didn't believe who he was. You know what's hindering a lot of us from doing what God has asked us to do? We don't really believe that he is who he is, says he is. In fact, there's a Latin word that has made its way into our English vernacular. It's called apathy. You know what the word apathy means? It comes from the word apatheo, which means not convinced. And when you're not convinced of who God is, you become apathetic towards Him. God doesn't want us to have apathy in our lives. If we understand who He is... Once again, our desires will determine and direct our path. And if we're convinced of who Jesus Christ says he is, if we believe that, it will direct our paths, often in a different path than what we would choose. These men humbled themselves. Here's another thought, just for a moment. This is free. The word curios, it's the word Lord. You know what it means? Master. You see... So many of us, we want Jesus as Savior, but we don't want Jesus as Lord. What's the difference? 
Jesus as Savior saves us from hell. But Jesus as Master directs our entire life beyond that. We're peasants. Subservient to the one. Colossians 1.16, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That in all things he gets to say. He gets the final say. He gets the final word. He gets to tell us what we do and we say, yes, sir. I wonder if we know Jesus as master or just Jesus as savior. Because there's a difference. Well, the wise men sought the Christ child. The wise men humbled themselves before the Christ child. And then number three, the wise men presented their gifts to the Christ child. I really, once again, questions. What gifts did they bring? Well, there's the obvious one. But first of all, I think there's one ahead of that. First of all, I think from verse 2 in our text here in Matthew chapter 2, there's the gift of acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. They acknowledged who he was, the Messiah. Let's give him the title that's due him. Master, Savior, Jesus. They acknowledged him as king. Number two, they give him the gift of honor and humility. They fell down before him. They offered the gift of humility and honor. And then number three, the one that we always know about, read about, the gifts of sacrifice. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. One thing has not changed from that day to this day. Those things still cost. Gold is still expensive, and so is frankincense and myrrh. In fact, when I was in Israel, I was in a little gift shop. I got a text on my phone of all places. In the middle of Israel, I get a text. It's from a family in our church. It says, can you pick up some frankincense? <laughs> and I was standing at a booth on an end cap that had it. A little bottle about this big, 30-some dollars. It was like hardly anything. It was like a Noceum bottle. I'm like, wow. Here's what I know. Because they're not giving it away today. I mean, there's no lines for free gold. No lines for free frankincense. No free myrrh. It costs them something. It costs them something. Questions. What does it really cost me to serve the Lord? Not in the sense that i got to work for my salvation. Because obviously we can't do that, can we? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We can't work our way. Titus 3, 5. We can't be good enough. That, that's not what, what I'm talking about. But I am saying this. What, what does it really cost me to commit my life to Christ? Have I sacrificed my own desires to do what he wants me to do? Have I said no to some things so I can say yes to some things for God? Has following Jesus really cost me anything? I think for far too many of us, the answer is really no. So I said a prayer. I don't want to make that flippant, but it's almost flippant. I said a prayer. I'm Jesus. I'm, 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 I'm a child of Jesus now. I said a prayer. I wonder what has really changed because of what Jesus has done in my life. You know, I came across this verse actually last night as I was reading through this. Acts chapter 17 says this. Actually, verse 24 says, God, 
who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. What can I possibly give to Jesus that he needs? Nothing. Everything we have is from him. It's not like he needs the gifts. But I wonder if we don't give him anything because we're just too selfish. Where's the flip side of that? Well, we'll get to that in just a moment. It's not like he needed our gifts, but he deserves them. In Romans chapter 12, this is a familiar passage to all of us, I'm sure. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable form of worship. It's our reasonable form of worship. Think about that. He says, I don't want you to die for me. I want you to live for me. That's how you can worship me. 2 Samuel chapter 24. We'll take your Bibles and turn there just for a moment. It's another neat, neat verse that maybe you've heard in the past, maybe you haven't. 2 Samuel 24 and verse 24. There's a circumstance going on here where David wanted to make a sacrifice and he's talking to a man by the name of Arana. And Arana says, I'll give you the threshing floor. He goes, it's yours. And David says, oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Here's what he says. Then the king said to Arana, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me, say it with me, nothing. Wow. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. David says, I don't want to offer the Lord anything. That doesn't cost me something. These wise men. In humility knelt down before the Christ child. And gave them sacrificial gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And the question I ask myself. Maybe you should ask yourself too. But I'm asking myself is. What does it really cost me? What have I really sacrificed? To serve the Lord. We're so busy enjoying the things that this world has to offer that we seldom think about what it is that we're truly giving to the Lord. Hopefully we're not giving them leftovers. They humbled themselves. And I think there's a lesson to learn from King David is that we should not offer the Lord that which costs us nothing. Not that he needs it, Acts 17.25. He already owns everything. It's all his to begin with. But that's not the point. The point is we should want to give him what he's blessed us with. And the greatest thing that we could give him is not more money, 
It's not things, it's ourselves in obedience to him. Throw another verse in here just for good measure because I liked it. I'm not sure how great it falls in line with what I'm talking about this morning, but it just spoke to me. So I, I added it. So humor me. Psalm 19:14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be what? Say it again. Acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I wonder if that's our attitude. As we serve the Lord, as we go about our day by day, let the words of my mouth, what I say, what I speak, and the meditations of my heart, what I'm going through in my mind, what I'm thinking about, what's occupying space in my brain, what I'm meditating on, be acceptable. Oh Lord, my strength, my Redeemer. That's a challenge. At least for me. Maybe you've mastered that, I don't know, but it's a challenge for me. One more verse. The last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Chapter 1. And beginning verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? To you priests who despise my name, you, yet you say, in what, have, in what way have, I, have we despised your name? Let me stop there, there just for a moment. Think about this. He says, something doesn't add up. Doesn't make sense. If I'm the father, where's the honor? If I'm the master, where's the reverence? I don't see it. Doesn't make sense, right? He says, you're saying one thing, but you're not showing it by your actions. And here's what he says, verse 7. You offered defiled blood on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. He says, you're giving me something that is less than your best. You're, you're offering defiled blood on the altar and saying, God, this is for you. Verse 8, and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? What were they to bring to the altar? The best. Not the leftovers. Not the one that they couldn't sell at market. Not the one that had all kinds of deficiencies and was lame. They were to offer their best to God. In verse 9, Actually, verse 8. Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Now let's, let's just kind of put that in today's vernacular. Let's put that in the year 2020. You just get a phone call. Someone knocks on your door and it is somebody of high esteem. Somebody who is famous. Somebody who is well respected. And you invite them in and then you give them something that's left over. Would, that, would, would we do that? Somebody's out there saying, I know that one person who would. No. But we'd want to offer our best because of their position, because of their rank, because of the position of where they stand. Even if it were something I, someone I disagreed with, 
There's a lot of Oklahoma I just cannot stand. I'm just telling you. But if he knocked on my door, I would try to offer him my best. Isn't that what we do as God's children? Some of you are saying, I don't know, that'd be a tough one. But it's true. We should show love to everyone. Not just who we feel like showing love to. So he goes on. Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Verse 9. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. From the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, and you and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who is in the flock of male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. He said, don't offer me what is blemished. Don't give me your second best. Don't give me your leftovers. I asked the question to myself, do I give him my best or do I give him the leftovers? When I think of these wise men who came there's so many truths that are seen here. They sought the Christ. Who am I seeking in this world that I live? It's really easy to say I'm seeking Christ, but then live for all the things that this world has to offer. It's really easy to do that. Anybody agree? I mean, the world has to offer so much that we think is so great. And trust me, there are days I want it. Why not? I deserve it. But what really matters in the end the wise men sought the Christ child. We need to seek Christ. Number two, the wise men humbled themselves before the Christ child. And folks, we need to humble ourselves again and afresh before Jesus Christ. You see, that's why we have an altar. That's why we have an altar, is that we can come before and kneel before Christ. Not, not me, not this podium. It, it's a sign of reverence. It's a sign of uh, of, of I, I, I want to submit myself to God. That's why we have the old-fashioned altar call. So that we can, once again, submit ourselves in humility before the Lord and say, God, do a work in my life. There's not a one of us that can't look around and say, well, so-and-so needed to hear this. <laughs> he thinks an awful lot of himself. And yet it's ourselves that need to be questioned. And the wise men presented their gifts of sacrifice to the Christ child. They acknowledged who he was. They gave him honor in their humility. They sacrificed to give him something. Not that he needs it, Acts 17, but that he deserves it. And he says, don't offer me that which is blemished. David said, I don't want to give him nothing that didn't cost me anything. I don't know about you, but that's a humbling thing to consider from the wise men. 
You'll learn a lot from them. And what we're reading about that took place thousands of years ago is still true today. We still need to be like them. And if we're going to be wise, we will seek him. If we're going to be wise, we will humble ourselves before him. And if we're going to be wise, we will still present our lives in service and obedience to him. That's what he deserves. We can learn a lot from the wise men. Let's pray.